Hey, what's up, Pool Chasers? We're back from both of our trips to San Antonio and Atlantic City. We were super excited to hang out with you guys. Thank you so much for coming by the booth. It was very cool for us to hear a different aspect of the industry in different markets. So we're super excited that we were able to see what you guys all do and really will help us gear the podcast towards some of those topics. And we had a blast hanging out with you guys. So Our next stop will be Long Beach, California for the Western Pool and Spa Show, which is Thursday, March 21st through Saturday, March 23rd. Come by and see us. And we, you know, we have a lot of love for California and a lot of listeners out there. So we can't wait to hang out with you guys. We will see you out in Long Beach, Pool Chasers. This is Reed Schindler with Schindler Design Co. out of Edmond, Oklahoma, and you're listening to the Pool Chasers podcast. Welcome to your go-to podcast for the pool and spa industry. My name is Tyler Rasmussen. And my name is Greg Viafania. And this is the Pool Chasers Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us today on episode 32 of the Pool Chasers Podcast. Our mission is to help educate and inspire in the form of a podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Jimmy Smith. Thank you for joining us today, Jimmy. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm really impressed with what you guys are doing. I'm a big fan of it. You know, I, I approached you guys at the the latest show in Vegas, the International Trade Show, and uh, I was really excited to meet you guys. So I'm glad to be here and um, ready to go. Awesome. Yeah, we were super excited to meet you as well. So we can't wait to get this started. Um, can you share with us and the listeners, you know, what you do exactly and some of the companies that you've worked with in our industry? Yeah, so um, I, I don't really know anybody that does exactly what I do. So I kind of have to make up my own title, you know, but I guess to sum it up, I usually explain I'm a traveling luxury pool photographer, um, professional photographer, but I just focus on swimming pools now. And uh, it's all across the States, a little bit international. But yeah, I, I just show up to the project, I get the job done. And um, I don't really know any, any other title than that. Um, some people that I've worked with in the industry, you know, I'm going to forget people, I feel like I should list everybody I know and give a shout out kind of thing. But <laughs> It's it's all across the board, anywhere from Manhattan all the way to L.A., North California, all the way down to um, to Florida, then where I'm, I kind of live in the Virgin Islands, in the Caribbean. Um, but I would say locally here, like some people that you would know, Jeremy Noggle over at Premier Paradise. You guys know him. I'm not sure. Who, who's that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he gets a name drop in like every episode, so it's, it's only right that um, – Shout out we, once again, Jeremy. <laughs> local local celebrities. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um there's a there's another fellow John Martise you guys may not know I'm, I met him through Jeremy. Um, no, we know. Yeah, him. he's in our Facebook group and stuff. Yeah, he's, John's he's a cool guy. Very cool guy. John's a great guy. I'd say next on the list kind of is like Rick Chafee. You know, okay, guys. yeah, Red Rock. I've tried with him a couple of times to to connect, but it's just been you know scheduling everything else. But that's that's in the foreseeable future. It just keeps growing everywhere sure. that I go. You know, I shoot for one guy, and then everybody wants to tag along and say, "Hi, who's your photographer?" You know, I you know they they track me down one way or another. Uh, but I mean, if we just went from one side of the coast to the other, you know, I'm I'm wearing a shirt, Jimmy Reed, out in in um, in California, you know, more in the Malibu area. I just came from Malibu. I was shooting for a fellow named Ryan Clow. Then I came across. Let's come back this way, you know, towards the East Coast. Stopped in Vegas. I just shot for um, Tanner Ross with Poolscapes. Him and his father. Uh, they're a pretty big company. Been around for a long time. Uh, here, there's some. There's a couple more guys here. Um, we keep going. Texas is a big state for me. Uh, you guys may know Randy Angel, Rad Designs. He works 
kind of closely with pool environments. Uh, they're, they're pretty big builders. Joshua, right. Joshua Buzzell, Regal Pools, yeah. uh, Benjamin Lassiter. He's a big name. He, Ben's, a, Ben's a beast, but he's in Austin, Texas. And then it just keeps going, you know. Um, uh, Howard Roberts up in New Jersey, another fellow uh, up there. That, that I, I really like his stuff. I've been shooting for him for a couple of years now. And then uh, Kansas City, Omaha, Nebraska. You know, I got Kurt Krasinger, a uh, fellow named Jake in Omaha that I shoot for. Kurt's in Kansas City with Lorax Design Group. I mean, I, I could just keep going. And I, I'm going to feel bad because I'm not going to say. <laughs> I think we, I, we would know if you had a house page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're working <laughs> on it. I'm not going to give you any more crap. <clears throat> anyway, so, you know, you have quite the story that doesn't seem to ever end. You know, we followed your journey on Instagram and caught you at the international show in Las Vegas, where we, you know, talked for a little bit. And I think we knew right away just after that small conversation we had that you'd be great to have on the podcast. Um, Because, you know, photos have had a huge impact on our business. And that kind of gave us a little bit of an advantage um, from the very beginning with our pool service and repair uh, company brothers was kind of just having a different eye for it. But not only that, but putting the photos in the right place, you know, because you got the Yelps and the Googles and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's just not about taking photos. It's about taking the photos and what you do with them that's uh, equally as important. Um, so we did, started doing some research and um, the best thing we could have stumbled upon was a blog um, kind of written. I think it was on the Tributary Revelation website named The Well featuring Jimmy Smith. And this was just one of the raddest stories that we had heard. And uh, they even said in there that this could have been made into a movie. And after reading it, could kind of agree with that. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe just start from the beginning and uh, share with our listeners the the Jimmy Smith story. Oh, yeah. Wow. Where to start? Um, <laughs> so I originally, let's just start maybe with college. You know, start there. I originally got a, um, a degree in engineering, also got an associate's in physics. Uh, then then I moved on up the road. I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Um, and I was there for a couple of years. Uh, a divorce with my parents brought me back home, um, came back to Athens. I was there to help mom out, you know, through the divorce. And Where's Athens at? Athens is in Georgia. That's Athens, where the, Georgia. the University of Georgia is. Uh, big college town, you know, lots of music. I'd say it got its real pop, you know, with the B-52s where <clears throat> put them on the map, you know, mm-hmm. with music. And big are, are Bulldogs you, fan? Well, if you're born and raised there, you know, you, you kind of, <laughs> they say you bleed red and black, you know, as you, as you come out of the womb. But, yeah. but anyway, so uh, I come back to Athens and I'm there and I, I just enrolled long story short, in, in the fine art photography program there. And it was interesting because at the same time that I'm studying fine art photography uh, at the university, with all of the other education that I had, I only went to classes they met on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I had Monday, Wednesday, and Friday off, you know. And so what I did, there was another Votech school down the street, you know, maybe like 30 minutes, you know, and they met on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So it was perfect. So I studied actually for my photography education. I studied fine art, which was let's shoot a picture of the tree and let's sit around and talk about it and how does it make you feel. And, you know, it's art school, <laughs> right? And then, um, but then I'm going three days a week and getting something that the other students weren't. You know, I'm learning how flashes work. I'm learning about equipment. I'm learning, you know, how to make money in, in the photography business. They, they pushed more of the real world commercial type deal so it's best of both worlds and oh, that's um, pretty cool did they teach you how to like draw up contracts and different things like that as well they do at points you know um and and it's all changed now from what it was then you know like just to give you kind of a time frame of when i was in school 
the the my senior year, you know, my last year in photography, um, that was the first year that at least at the University of Georgia, well, at both schools actually, that they were teaching Photoshop. So you know, I got this little baby one hundred and one Photoshop at the very beginning, nothing like it is now. And then I had to teach myself Photoshop. You know, I had to keep up with all the changes, just like everything else in technology. So I got out of school and. At the time, I was actually managing a, a music venue in Athens. That's what I was doing through college. I worked on the weekends usually to make make money, and then that way I didn't I could make good money on the weekends and then spend the week, you know, doing doing all my classwork and schoolwork. But um, I managed this this venue for a little while. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I really didn't jump into photography. You know, I think a lot of a lot of photographers deal with the same thing even today. They they study or any any I guess any major, you know, in college you study, you really determine on what you want to do and then you get out and you go, Well, where's the job? You know, and how do I put all this together? And but with a photographer, especially if you're gonna freelance or do your own thing, you've gotta it takes a while, you know, to run to get a business rolling. So I didn't really jump on it. And on a whim I went down to Jacksonville, Florida. Don't ask me where this really got planted in my mind, but I I studied at the commercial diving academy. I was there for about seven months, and basically I became a commercial diver. Uh, as soon as I got out of school, I went down and started working with a company out of Miami, Miami Diver, and they specialize in um, ship maintenance. So we're talking cruise ships, uh, cargo carriers, you know, Navy vessels, Coast Guard stuff, big, big ships, right, big vessels. And we did anything under the waterline. If we could save a cruise ship company money by being able to do something underwater, whether it be welding, cleaning, you know, whatever, whatever the job was, then they were very willing to pay us, you know, good money yeah. because to pull one of those ships out of the water, I mean, it can be a million bucks just to dry dock one thing. And then you don't have the tourist on the ship either, you know, at the same time. So you're losing money there, revenue. But the reason I bring that up to continue the story is I, we flew to all of our jobs. We work globally. So any any port, you know, on, on the water, on the coastline, you know, that's typically where we'd fly and do the job. And then we'd fly out and go to the next job. You needed to be young, single, and just want to work. You know, you were never home. Not a big quality of life, you know, in that. But but you saved all your money, you know. And so I did that for a few years. It's a pretty dangerous job too, isn't it? Well, it is if you think, you know, it's it, the commercial diving industry is something that people, they kind of hear about or see something or know it exists, but they really – they really don't know what happens. The surprising thing is, is I, I've, I had a, a teacher in the academy that told told us one time. He said, "You know, one percent of the population knows that we exist, and one percent of that percent actually understands what we do." So anywhere that you have water, there's something going on. You know, it could be a bridge. You know, they, they've got insurance reasons or the government's behind it. You have to inspect these things once a year, so there's a diver on it. Um, Water towers were, were an odd one to me. You know, I have friends now that still, they travel the country and they take their gear with them or the company ships the gear ahead or they may work regionally for a while. But all the water towers that you see, you know, as you drive around your local community, there's somebody that has to climb that tower, get in and video inspect and make sure nothing's rusted or anything broken, you know, and they fix mm. it. So so it's, it's everywhere, everywhere there's water. But I think a lot of people think about the Gulf oil rigs where, where you dive deep and you're doing deeper work constructing or tearing things down that's that's more dangerous but i i kind of to be honest with you the the miami diver gig was a real plush commercial diving job a lot of guys wanted to get in with that company 
my engineering background helped with that. They don't hire a lot of people. They only had 25 people out of the Miami office and I got in. But back, you know, I'll dial it back for a second. So I'm working with this company and I'm back and forth. St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands is a huge hub for cruise ships. You know, I on any given day, we have anywhere from five, six, seven ships. You know, I've, I've seen once, I think in the past nearly 10 years now, 13 ships in at once. Um, and that's a lot of people. You know, a lot of these ships carry anywhere from 3,000, some of the large ones, 5,000 and up. So multiply that by 13, you know, pretty much. And it just floods the island for the day. But but I was traveling there maybe 20, 25 times a year to do jobs. And um, I just love the island, you know. And I got a chance to go diving one day with a dive shop there, St. Thomas Diving Club, one of the oldest dive shops in the Caribbean. And they wound up needing uh, another employee, another diver. Um, I was an instructor already at that point, scuba diving instructor, and had good mechanical skills, could work on boats. I had a captain's license already I picked up. And um, I basically just got burnt out, you know. And I was in Jacksonville, Florida, actually, on a job. We were working at a Navy base. It was one-foot visibility. It's January, 32 degrees. You know, we're diving all dry suits. And um, I went back to the hotel that evening. I just I called the dive shop and pretty much said, all right, I'm, I'm going to put in my notice and I'm coming down. I've been there ever since. So, you know, really wasn't doing anything with photography. But then I got on island. I was there for a few years and I started shooting underwater. Um, that, that's a big passion of mine. And um, then there became a point where I just decided, you know, I'm going to do what I really want to do. I'm going to go back to photography. And I started, I really started shooting. What I would do, I'd get off work at the dive shop and the beaches are so beautiful. The weather there every day is the same temperature. You know, I think it's 72 degrees pretty much every evening and 84 during the day, you know, and that's with a breeze. But I'd get off at five o'clock and all I thought about other than the diving during the day was, well, what's going to be the best beach today? Where should I go shoot? And that's how I spend my happy hour, essentially. You know, I usually take take my dog with me and just take the cameras and chill out and get another shot. Well, um, it just turned into this thing on island where everybody's like, oh, wow, you know, Jimmy Smith, you know, and the photography and people were asking for photos and how they could get it. So I started a website. And um, now that's where it led to the to the pool industry. Had If you would have asked me three years ago, what kind of photographer do you want to be? I would have looked at you and said, well, I like shooting sunsets and beaches and, you know, landscapes. But I would have never guessed, you know, I, I would become a traveling luxury pool photographer and get into this industry. <laughs> but but I had a, I had a friend. It's interesting. Um, a friend from high school. And he was trying to get in touch with me. And I was actually down island, closer to South America. I went and shot um, – I had begun shooting a lot of real estate for villas and some of these rental properties on island. And um, I went to shoot this house for a friend of mine, uh, Mim is her name. She owns a restaurant on island. Her husband is from Dominica, though. And he had a house there. She wanted to shoot the pictures of the home just in case they ever wanted to sell it. you know. And so I said, sure, what's the deal? She said, well, we're going to go for 10 days. We got the house shot the first day. Now we had nine days to run around Dominica and see a essentially a rainforest kind of island. It was it was very, very fun. I've been back two or three times now, but I get this Facebook message. We didn't have cell, cell phone you know, service there, and I get this message from an old high school friend, and uh, his name's Shane Blanc. He's actually a, a, a pool designer and a, a builder out of Georgia. But, you know, I get this message, and he's kind of beating me up a little bit, and he says, hey, man, I've been trying to call you. You know, I got your number from so-and-so back from high school. You know, I've been home and forever at this point and I, I said well look here's the deal and then he hits me on Facebook was the point and I said yeah I'm, I'm in Dominique I won't be back on St. Thomas you know I could call you in, in a few days he said well look he said um are you willing to travel to shoot 
photography. And I just kind of laughed at him. I said, well, I'm traveling. I'm traveling right now, actually. I said, what do you got? And he said, have you not seen my website? And I, I said, bro, I haven't seen you in, in I don't know, 14, 15 years. I said, I, you could be doing anything at this point. So he said, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know. I don't know if you got the. I don't know if you got the memo. Exactly. But, uh, everybody knows here and back in Georgia. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So um, yeah, and he sends me a link, and I said, "Oh wow, you're building these amazing pools, you know." And this was the first. You know, I grew up. I, I lifeguarded. You know, in college here and there, and I, you know, in high school, you know, and so I'd been around pools, you know. And um, my father actually owned a hardware store, and I used to deal with all the local plumbers and pool builders, you know, growing up. So I'd been around pools for a long time, but I had not seen what the industry was really producing, you know, at that point. My, still, my idea of a pool, you know, in the backyard used to be the old kidney bean with vinyl liners, you know, just standard cookie cutter in the backyard, but. But I saw this and I said, wow, that's interesting. Very interesting. Very cool. And um, so I flew back to St. Thomas. I think it was like a Sunday when I landed. I told him I was going to land at 3 o'clock. I think at 3.01 my phone was ringing. And <laughs> and I didn't know at the time what this was, was, you know, a lot of these guys in the industry, they, they apply for awards and they have deadlines for those, right? So we were on a deadline for like that coming Friday, you know. So I, I flew up and I, I actually shot for him and I shot for um, – Chris Fogelman with Thrasher Pool and Spa out of um, Atlanta. And, you know, like four pools in three days. It was really rushed. And then I'm editing photos on the plane ride back to St. Thomas, you know. And um, I had literally, I didn't even unpack coming back from Dominique. I just turned around, took my bag and all my camera equipment, went to Atlanta. And then I get the photos in. They win a bunch of awards. And then that was pretty much how it happened. The, the phone started ringing. Because people were saying, you know, who, who's your photographer? How did you get these photos? They they had not seen images, I guess, you know, is the best way to say it, that the way I shoot or, you know, what I was doing. And that was in the very beginning before I started crafting my skill more towards the industry. But, um, yeah, and then I got busy. You know? Yeah. I started flying all over. I think the second person I shot for was Kurt Krasinger uh, up in Kansas City. And then and then the ball just started rolling. So, so we're going to go back just a little bit because it's, you know, kind of – known now that you're kind of a nomad, you know, straight out of high school going into college and you're just kind of, you know, you're just doing all kinds of things. It seems sure. like to, to get away a little bit. Is there any reason in particular that you were kind of trying to get out of Athens? I mean, I know that still that's home, you know, and you still have a good relationship with your mother, but was there any reason in particular that you were kind of just so open to move around? Cause you know, that's not easy for most people to just kind of pack up and go from place to place all the time. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I've thought about that personally a lot, you know, just like why I've always moved on, moved on, moved on kind of thing. Honestly, the best answer I can give you right or wrong, I just, I believe, I, I think I, I get bored really easy, you know, and, and what's been interesting with the pools and the travel is it's always different. You know, I mean, a lot of people think, oh man, are you going to get burnt out on shooting pools? But there's so much more that comes with it, you know, with, with the travel, you know, I meet new people all the time. Um, I see different builders and designers all across the country and, Yes, they're in the same industry, but they all have their own way of doing things, their own style. You know, a lot of the designers that I meet, I look at them as they're artists. You know, I don't think, oh, wow, these guys just build pools. But, but you know, they, they have their own taste, you know. Um, so it, it's fresh, you know, and, and I don't see it. I'd say three years now being in it, you know, if I was going to really start to get burnt out and eventually I would already think that way. That's what I'm telling myself anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just – I personally feel I just – I'm always looking for something new. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, 
happy-go-lucky guy. So, you know, and um, I'm always interested in learning, you know. Sure. So that's been part of the attraction, you know. It's just right. been being able to see new things and travel, you know. So. Nice. So we heard about you, like, uh, going out and looking for treasure and stuff like this. You were on a ship. But something a little bit more interesting in, uh, towards business is that you started a, a bottle opener uh, business or something? Yeah. So um, so I was telling you I, earlier, just a few minutes ago, I was telling you that I bartended in school. That was the – I can make the most pay in the shortest amount of time, you know. <clears throat> and I remember Red Bulls got popular, Right. And this was Jaeger bombs and the whole deal, you know. Well, I'm working at a venue. Well, I was working at always pretty high volume places. College towns can be fickle, you know. There's the hot place one weekend, and two weeks later everybody's going somewhere else. So I moonlighted around for a while, but then I, I, when I wound up at this um, final venue that I was working at, uh, and I managed even after I got out of photography school for a while, you know, we held like 1,200 people or more, you know, the occupancy level. And you get 1,200 people, especially when that's popular, and they're coming at you, try opening three, 400 cans, you know, a night. So I backed up, you know, I started thinking with my engineering background. I, I, I Basically, if you've seen the the six-inch, seven-inch, like, flat, they call them church keys was the old name for it, but it's what you see every waitress and bartender carrying, either tucked behind a wristband, you know, on their arm or in their back pocket. I didn't want to change what already worked, but I wanted to – make it better. You know, I wasn't going to try to fix something that wasn't broke, I guess you could say. So long story short, I, I basically put a, an attachment on one end that opens cans. Okay. So all night long, you know, that, that helped, you know, I had and all the other bartenders in town that saw my in the garage, you know, filed <laughs> really, really weak prototypes, you know, back at that point, <laughs> they, um, they saw that and they were, and people were requesting it. They said, man, can you make me one of those? And I was like, well, you know, it took me it took me 72 hours to make this one. <laughs> um, sure. You're right. <laughs> give, me a, give me a week. You're like, or give me like six months because you're like number, number eight in line for it. Um, I'm going to need a box of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I get 700 of those like with, with my logo? So, and then that's what happened. Uh, I, through mutual friends, I met another friend that I kind of, you know, we went into business together and uh, his father owns a large die casting company outside of Atlanta. And, um, they typically make car parts, you know, this is what, think about it, I'll paint you a picture when you see the machines in the movies or documentaries coming down, they're slamming out car bumpers or fenders, that kind of thing. They're called progressive dies. These things can be up to 400 tons, you know, when they drop, but, but they were doing largely car parts and then we were kind of a new product, you know, something a little different for the business, but we built the tools, we, you know, got rolling and then I kind of got into the industry. It's not something that I still push you know, I'm, I'm doing the photography, you know, and that's where I'm really at, you know, these days. But but I still get emails at the website. I kind of let it go. Or, it kind of went organic, so to say. And, um, you know, just two days ago, right before I came here, I was filling an order for um, Sweetwater Brewing, which is a company in Atlanta. You know, they wanted like 500 openers. And then uh, Terrapin Beer is another. I've, I've got more East Coast friends, you know, because that's where I spurred from. But, um, yeah, I still make openers. And then it was interesting. I had to make my own off my first patent, you know, on the first design that I did. I realized I needed to make a knockoff of that. I needed a cheaper version before somebody else did it. So I did that. So we have a 2.0 kind of version of it. And then I had a request from somebody, um, a big company out in Colorado. And off of talking to them, I started making a, we call it a business card opener. 
Um, but it's great. We put a graphic overlay on this thing. The, the artwork's printed on the back. So the, what I'm trying to say is the customer or the client or the person carrying the card, they never touch the ink. So, mm-hmm. so the cards last. But it's the same, the laminate, the, the clear coat that goes over the artwork, it's the same thing that's the, like the non-scratch on your, on your iPhone, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, you could cut it with a key or a knife, something if you really try to break right. it. But, but um, and I've, I've had more success with that you know, out of all of my openers, but yeah, still to this day, that's been right at 10 years, you know, I guess like doing those, but. Wow. That must be hard to fill orders when you're on the road so much. Well, I, I, I do all the graphics myself and you know, that's another thing. If I pushed it even more, yeah, you know, it's going to pull me in two directions right now, but, um, but no, it's really not that bad. I just, um, especially if I have long-term clients, because once I've done their artwork, you know, they may change a little thing here or there, but 90% of the time they say, hey, we need another, you know, 1,500 openers, you know, for this year. And I just punch the order in. I, I was lucky. I've set everything up where I can be remote. You know, I don't, I've, I've got, you know, from the manufacturing point to adding the artwork, you know, with printers. And everything's drop shipped. So I don't really have to be in Georgia, you know, okay. to do that. So I was going to say, probably we don't want to send a tracking number. Like, oh, you're not getting a tracking number. We'll, we'll send it out when we get when we can. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's super cool. I have to put in that order for a pull chasers one. That'd be super cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. So what what's going on with the uh, the treasure hunting, the commercial treasure hunter? Oh, wow, man. We got – how long do we have? You know, um, <laughs> it's just I, such an interesting story. So I had a – I have a really good friend um, who's got his own – crazy story but uh, a fellow named Charles George he I met him I was actually there was a spring break in college where everybody went to the beach you know to do do the beach thing and um, with that week off I took off and went to Charleston South Carolina and I just wanted to get at that point the first stage of a captain's license you know and I went and took took the book work and did the class for a week but I met this gentleman there and that's about the same time I was doing the the bottle openers and looking at patents and how to apply for that and uh, Charles had been a um, an investment broker for years, and he was in the class for I didn't know at the time. The reason he was, you know, investment broker is in his classes. He had this deal kind of cooking. He was big in the diving industry. I had already kind of represented a lot of people in the diving industry, you know. And he had a good friend, uh, Bob Marks. Um, I don't know how much you guys really know about treasure hunting and the whole, you know, that. Quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I've seen really. Pirates of the Caribbean quite a few times. <laughs> there, so. you there you go. <laughs> Fool's like, like that, right? Uh, I like Sahara. That's a good one. Oh, Sahara's good, Sahara. too. Well, so Bob is, you know, one of the most world-renowned treasure hunters on the planet. I mean, he's found ships all over the world. And at the time, you know, and, and then I was interested, if you remember, in getting into commercial diving. So this kind of pushed that idea a little more conveniently. But um Bob was looking for somebody. He had had several Spanish galleons that he's found over the years that were in the water. And he had already identified, I think, one out of the three. And he was looking for a manager. He was looking for a general manager to, to work a vessel for the first one he was going to, you know, excavate or pull everything out of the, out of the ocean bottom. And um, I went down through Charles, met him, kind of did a real loose interview, you know. And one thing... <laughs> You know, he, he said in the end, he said, okay, Jimmy's got the job. Like, I like Jimmy. He can, you know, he can come on board, and, and if, especially if he goes through the Commercial Diving Academy, he'll come out brand new, newest, you know, this and that, driving ROV, you know, underwater, you know, um, equipment. And he just wanted somebody. He came, he came from the old school. Everything was diving with tanks and regulators. 
you know, he wanted to do everything hard hat. There's a lot more liability, you know, in that business now, you know, if you're doing commercial stuff. So I went through the program. The people at school knew, hey, wow, Jimmy's going to be on the on the History Channel, you know, in a few months after he graduates. Because all those guys knew who he was at school, you know, all the instructors. They're, they're, they're big into the, the treasure hunting world, you know, and that, that whole um, passion. But uh, so I graduated, and that was that was after the – economy you know the dump we had in 2008 but this was more like right around 2010 so i got out i went to charleston and i was staying actually bob had helped finance my friend charles through the maritime law school there in charleston charles just basically went back to school to become an attorney just so he could represent bob you know and charles is a good guy for it but i went i went up we were actually getting ready to do sea trials you know and um, we had a vessel that was coming coming into port, you know, and they were looking at people to hire and all that. Well, then Spain pipes up and says, wait a minute. They said, we don't care about international, you know, found in international waters and who identified the wreck and all the old legalities. And if you actually find a, you know, a treasure ship or a sunken wreck. And uh, they said, we're in trouble because, you know, that 2008 bubble that that hit globally for a lot of people. And they said, that's our gold was our gold in the beginning. We want it. We're going to court. You know, and so Bob put the brakes on that. He said, listen, this could change everything for everybody forever, you know, depending on how this case gets ruled. So um, he said, I, my hands are tied. You know, I, I can't invest money and go out. I mean, it's millions of dollars, especially if you were going to do it the way they were with the History Channel, Discovery, you know, ghost writers on board, video crews. I mean, they, they were going to make the documentary as we actually pulled stuff out of the ocean. So that's actually how I wound up at Miami Diver. I sat around and I, I caught the school was calling me actually. Job one of the job placement guys. He called. He said, "Are you on a, on the treasure hunt yet? You know, when are we gonna see you on television?" I said, "Well, we kind of had a monkey wrench, you know." And um, and they had actually seen the the, the reason all that got started. I, I don't think I said it was they there was a company Odyssey that had found one of the largest finds to date, um, right around the time of the bubble. And when they brought this ship ship in with all the gold. I mean, as far as you could see on the deck of this boat, it was just five gallon buckets full of gold coins. Mm. And, and I mean, I don't even know what the final number equated to with, you know, how much that's worth today. But, you know, as they showed up at port, came in Florida, you know, customs takes everything. There was, there was a documentary on it. I don't remember the title of it, but so yeah, that's when the lawsuit started, you know, and, and, and all that with Spain. And it's still to this day, they really haven't resolved it. You know, all the gold's sitting somewhere locked up and nobody <laughs> sees it. And you know, whatever. But that's pretty wild. They ever talk about why all these ships with treasure and gold and all this stuff back in the day sunk in the first place? It seems like if you had treasure on your ship, it was going down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you would think if like, you know, pirates or anybody was trying to like bring these ships down, they'd do a better job of getting the treasure off of it and then letting it sink. Well, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of stories that were successful and ships made it. You know, a lot of that stuff was coming over from Europe, you know, as they were expanding, you know, into into the Caribbean. But um um yeah, I mean storms were a big thing. You know, mm -hmm. I mean yeah. Hurricane I, I live, you know, especially down they filmed a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean uh there close, you know, in our proximity around the, the Virgin Islands and more in the BVIs, but um yeah, a lot of the ships just got trapped in hurricanes, you know, bad weather, and just went down. But then I'm, I'm sure a lot of them got robbed. You know, there's a lot of history to it. It's sure. interesting um, if you really, instead of just watching the movies, you know, and, and and all that. But if you really start reading about a lot of the history, there's a lot of, a lot of cool stories, you know, to it. But um, 
Yeah, a lot of gold in those in those oceans. You guys ever run into any pirates? In St. Thomas? Oh, I mean, just no. No? <laughs> no pretenders? I was, I was just thinking about some of my local friends, you know, <laughs> that'll hit you up for anything. You know? Come on, man. Come on. Let me, give, me, give me that. Give me that. Right. Um, no, because we, um, it's crazy, probably about, I guess, 10 years ago at your wedding, mm-hmm. um, your guys' friend's husband was a Navy SEAL, yeah. and he got contracted out to pretty much, they bring their own weapons and stuff, and they hunt pirates because it's a big problem, and there's a lot of people that'll, you know, kind of... They have a private ship or something, and they go out, and they just hunt pirates, and he was one of them. It was really weird because he was like the chillest guy. I would never think he was a Navy <laughs> SEAL. And he's like, yeah, and then he starts going over all the you know weapons that he brings, and they're like, yeah, we had this one time. We took. I was like, oh, you've done it. Oh, oh yeah, that like, seems insane. Where'd you see? Was that on Indeed or something? Like, <laughs> must bring own tools. Like, <laughs> journeyman. No, pirate hunter. Yeah. Well, it. I guess it It does go on, you know, because that, that – kind of sparked my memory there um when i was working for miami diver you know i said we we went global you know we, we could go to europe we could go to australia it didn't matter wherever the job was that we needed to do but i remember there was a magazine that we used to get and it was even online and there for a while in the um in the middle east or wherever there there were wait, wait take it back to make it make more sense what's the uh tom hanks movie Castaway? Um, no, no. no, no. <laughs> uh, the one where no, the, pi- where he, the pirates, pirates jump on the Somalia? ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was you know based off true story, but there was a lot of that going on, and and you'd have guys you know that would take over a large vessel for whatever they had Captain on it, something, you know, yeah. and um, and then you know the local governments were even supporting that. If they took over the the ship, they could just sell it right back, you know, to to their homeland essentially, and then you know they're under protection, you know, but. Captain Phillips just looked it up. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't do any jobs where I was in that area, but I had friends and other coworkers that did. You know, it's a big deal. You know, they're going over there trying to, you know, you're working on a ship and potentially, you know, that could happen to anybody. So That's got to be a huge problem. I mean, some of those people, just like in Captain Phillips, that's what, that's what they do for a living. Yeah. Know, they've done it since they were little kids. They get on these rowboats and they will for sure take over a ship. Well, they have the capabilities of doing it because that's their craft. Right. You know what I mean? So who is the famous tilt? Who is the famous tilt? He's the rock star. You know, I'm just I'm just chop liver. Uh, I follow <laughs> I, I follow him around everywhere. Um Tilt is my dog. He was he was born on St. Thomas. Um everybody always asks about the name. He was born kind of with a weak neck muscle and we had to kind of help that out, lift his head to, you know, rehabilitate it essentially, you know. And, um, you know, therefore, there's the name Tilt. He still does it today. But but Tilt's a trained service animal. And, um, you know, I with all the travel that I do, it's it's either you have a dog or you don't. You know, so I really just he, – now, he loves it. He travels, he travels with me everywhere, and he loves it absolutely. It's a little more responsibility and a little tougher on me, you know. But at the same time, he also makes things easier. You know, I tell people all the time, I go through the airport, right? And everybody just magically gets out of my way, you know, like <laughs> kind of parts the waters. He's he's a German shepherd. He's he's uh, part shepherd and part wolf. But um, I don't know. You know, I, it's funny being a dog owner and you might agree with this, having having dogs yourselves. But um, Kyle, so, yeah, Kyle. Kyle, we don't, we don't have dogs. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're the opposite. I had a guinea pig. For, had a guinea pig for one week <laughs> before it made its way to Craigslist. <laughs> well, Kyle and I were just talking before we sat down. You know, he's got pit bulls, and you know. Some people are terrified of dogs. You know, I don't know if that's something that happens to them when they're small. You know, they have a bad experience. But, but Tilt's, you know, he's part um, German Shepherd and part Wolf, actually. And he's jet black, you know, solid black. And he's a big dog. He's 80, 82 pounds, I think, now. And, um, you know, so some people, when I come through the airport, even at TSA, you know, I see it happening when I'm in line before I go through security. <laughs> I see some of the agents going, uh, you, you can help him, you know. <laughs> you know, or, you got this. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go over here. For, I'm gonna take my break. <laughs> but, but yeah. So, and then I've been pulled out of line. You know, people are like, "Hey, you know, come on up forward. You know, we'll help you out." Um, when I a lot of times when I board the planes, I don't ask. You know, for this, but when I board a lot of the agents, you know, and this helps flying so much. You know, with my job, they'll say, "Hey, if you want an extra minute, you know, this is after they put." wheelchairs on or people you know in the military that kind of thing or, or mothers with babies you know or just even elderly folks that need more time they'll then they look at me and say hey you're a special kid come on you know you need to get on the board you know but we'll get him settled you know so that helps some and um but yeah tilt he's he's been good you know um it, it really on the road it could get lonely on the road you know always in a hotel always traveling and um but you know always Man's best friend, you know. Yeah. I got my buddy, you know, with me all the time. So, do most hotels let you have dogs in them? No, um, but with his paperwork as oh, being okay. a trained service animal, it's actually, I mean, legally they they pretty much have to let me in. Some hotels, some higher end hotels, will charge for that, but I, you know, ninety nine percent, you know, I've, I've never had a problem. You know, if I show them the paperwork and let them, and a lot of times I let them know as I book my schedule. I'm usually a month, month and a half to two months out, you know, trying to stay booked. And as I make reservations, I just put a note on it and they say, okay, we get the deal. It's fine. So. Nice. I think we were all pretty surprised when we met him yesterday, how well-mannered he was. And just seeing him on Instagram, uh, there was one where just a little girl on the beach was, you know, telling him to sit and do all this stuff. And then, you know, threw the ball out in the water and he went out and got it. It's like, dang, like, that's pretty impressive that even taking orders from, you know, somebody else, not just you. Yeah, he uh, he's got hand signals that he's known, you know, his whole life, and then um, he's really well mannered. If I take that jacket off of him, you know, th- then he gets a little n- not crazy or anything, but he's ready to play. He knows when the jacket comes off, you know, serious times over, hmm. and you know that's where you kind of you see people that have have service animals or trained service dogs, and you know, a lot of people know, a lot of people don't, but the you know, I'll see kids sometimes they say, "Ooh, look at the dog," you know, and they want to pet him, and the, the mom will say, "Wait, you know, that's a he's wearing a jacket, he's working," and kind of thing. But um, if if you let people do that, if you let people pet him while he's got the jacket on, then it confuses him because he thinks, "Well, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be calm and you know, be the, be the cool dog, chilled out." But you know, if he, if you confuse him that way, he's, you're messing up his training. Yeah, you follow me, so. Usually, does he usually look at you like, "Hey, Dad, what, what, what's going on here? Are you yeah. paying attention?" Yeah, he'll he usually put the check, camera down for a minute. He checks with me a lot, you know, before he does something. You know, um, I'll have people call him, and he'll look over, and I'm like, "Go ahead," you know. So he's like, "All right, cool, I can go play. I got, I got the okay." But um, yeah, I've been a real positive, you know, traveling with him. Um, you know, up until I got as I progressed, as I got busier and busier, you know, now it's become full-time shooting photography where it was, you know, go out on the road for two weeks, you know, and then come back and be home, you know, for, for a week and then set up another trip. But that's, those are the old days, you know, and 
I used to be able to let somebody watch him. At first, I thought, you know, it's going to be a lot of time on the planes and all that. But, but yeah, we on our last flight um, coming out here to see you guys, I went to L.A. first. And from Atlanta, that's like a four-and-a-half-hour flight, mm-hmm. you know. But I throw the ball with him in the mornings before we get on the plane. He's down on the floor. You know, everybody's looking around going, man, this is a long flight for that dog where he was out. You know, he just knows the planes now. He's like, okay, this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to chill out and sleep. But then, boy, once that plane lands, you know, he's, he's ready to go, ready to go. So. <laughs> right. What's up, Pool Chasers? We hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We have some exciting news. Our sponsors, Jobber, they've come out with a $19 price plan for all you one pullers out there. They understand, you know, that pool companies don't always have a large team, so they wanted to give you an option of using a professional software to help you stay organized and be the most efficient you can while you're in the field. I definitely know I wish I had this option when I was a one-man show. You know, Greg and I have always felt that it was important to look as professional as possible because we believe that it definitely helps you win jobs. Customers will choose the ones that are most professional in our opinion, so, you you know, having the option to make quotes and invoices through the app would have been amazing help with that. You know, not to mention keeping all of our notes in one place instead of, you know, in a notebook or in a piece of paper that we could easily lose. So, you know, we know it's tough out there and we believe Jobber can help you guys stay organized and get the most out of your job. So to try it out, go to getjobber.com backslash pool chasers. That's getjobber.com backslash pool chasers. Also, if you guys missed episode 30, we discussed how we are now doing pool chasers full time. That's right. We are doing it full time. We're super excited for for it, guys. It's a very big step as husbands and as fathers, but we truly believe in the message. We 100% believe in the Pool Chasers community. You know, so we launched our Patreon page. So if the podcast has brought you any value at all, please consider donating financially. Every little bit helps. We're very committed to bringing you guys the best content possible. This will help us go out and get that content for you. So if you believe in the podcast as much as we do and you want to sign up to be a patron, go to patreon.com backslash pool chasers. That's patreon.com backslash pool chasers. This would mean the world to us, guys. We truly appreciate your time time in your ear. We will not take it for granted. Thank you so much for your support. So let's talk about, you know, just how you got into the pool industry. I know you covered it a little bit, but you know, what was your first job in? Was there any kind of obstacles you had to overcome? Because I think, you know, you're, you have a degree pretty much for photography. You're a professional, but there's something to be said about doing photography for different types of things. You know, you could have, you know, there's some skateboard photographers that I love, but they can't exactly, you know, just switch into doing swimming pools that easy. It takes time because you have to learn, you know, how everything works. And, you know, we were with you last night at, um, at a pool on Camelback and it was really cool kind of just seeing you, um, hundred percent focused on what you were doing and you just knew what shots you wanted and you wanted these features off and then you wanted these on. And so what were, you know, some of those obstacles when you first, uh, got into it? That that's a really good question. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, I, I'm not a fashion photographer, you know, I don't shoot portraits. Uh, I don't do weddings. I've done weddings before. I've, I've tried a little bit of everything. Um, but I think, you know, no matter what genre you're in, you you get into something, you get submerged in it, and then you just build on that specific photography, you know, and, and what your the obstacles are, you know, in that, in that specific genre, you know, of the industry. Uh, the obstacles that I first faced, um, first pools I shot in Atlanta, you know, I'd never really tried, okay, I've got a fire feature over here. Then I've got a water feature on this side, you know, that's pouring out like a scupper or a sheer descent, that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, with, with things on, you've got, you've got builders that what, one thing that I learned real quick, they were talking about, everybody was talking to me about reflections. 
oh, if you can get the reflection. Well, you can't get a reflection off of water when all the water features are on because everything's, you know, um, rippling. Rippling, yeah. yeah. And so that was the tough part in the beginning. You know, I could see what I was learning really quickly what made a good pool shot, you know, what people were looking at or looking through magazines like Luxury Pool Magazine or, or just Instagram accounts, anything, any, any photos that I saw in print too, you know, I was looking at, okay, they like this photo because of this and that. And then, so, but I guess to answer your question more clearly, the obstacle was, is you cannot get, if you look at a lot of my photos and I've had people ask me, you can't get the shots, the type shots that I get in one exposure. There is no one click because think about it and I don't want to get too deep into the you know how photography works here and confuse anybody but if you've got a fire feature you need a you need a camera you need a fast exposure to freeze frame that fire if you don't it's going to blur you know I call it troll hair you remember the little things that sit on people's <laughs> yeah I don't know another better analogy <laughs> the trolls are back yeah trolls are back don't, we don't like the trolls in the photos so but if you got that going on and that tells you you need a fast exposure for that then now you, you've got water moving somewhere and you actually want to blur that. A lot of guys like that better because it's smooth. You know, you know the effect I mean, right? Mm-hmm. That may take a one second, two second, you know, just depending on time of day kind of thing, exposure. Well, there's no way in one shot to go click. And, you know, if I do the one second exposure for the water feature, now I got troll hair in the fire, right? Yeah. So, and then again, you know, if you want a reflection off the water, you've got to turn everything off in the pool, you know, that's moving the water. Sometimes let it sit, you know, two or three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, depending on the particular pool. And um, you wait until you can shoot an exposure for that. So what I do that's different and and where I really started pushing my skills and teaching myself, um, you know, I came from a film background where you always try to expose Knowing that you couldn't get everything in one shot, but you just had to choose, you know, what's the the lesser of the two evils kind of, you know, do I go with the fire or the water, right? But nowadays with, with digital, you know, you're able to shoot multiple exposures and combine layer things like stack exposures on top of each other. So my camera, if you guys remember last night, you know, what, it'd take me 10 minutes to do one photo, right? And the bigger the project, the more things going on, it can take longer, um, but I try to go quality over quantity, you know, um, and, but I spend the time, the camera goes on the tripod and usually the first thing I say to everybody is like, look, there's one rule guys. I don't care what else you do. If you're, if you're around while I'm shooting, just don't touch the tripod. Cause if the tripod gets bumped, we're starting all over, you know, but that's for all the layers to match up. You know, I don't want things to be shifted or off. I have to keep that thing still, but so that's what we did last night. You know, I was I would shoot exposures for the fire, right? Freeze frame that. Uh, we had that little water feature. You know, it wasn't much coming over. It, it wasn't so apparent. You know, going to be in the, in the final edits, but um, but we definitely turned everything off to let the water go flat. And then on top of that, if you guys saw what I did, I went around and I, I used a flash. Like I basically bring light with me. You know, essentially and. I chose to light up areas, you know, to make things look better. So, you know, an average shot can have, I don't know, it depends on the on the scene, but anywhere from three, four pops to maybe even 20. I've, I've had, I would say on average, I can have 20, 25, 30 exposures that I blend all of those together, you know, in the end to get the final shot. But but the point was, the bottom, bottom line is, when you look at those photos thinking that way, once you've heard that whole spiel, 
you go, well, wait a minute, I see what he's saying. There's no way to get these shots, you know, in one one exposure. So that was the big obstacle. You know, I was hearing what the pool builders were telling me in, in you know, my ears. They're saying, look, we want we want a reflection and we want, we want the fire to be real crisp. And, you know, we want, can you do that moving water, you know, in the background? Oh, and then can you make sure that the spa's lit up and we can see the tile? You know, I have to flash a lot of things to bring that out, you know. And um, I'm like, yeah, I can do it, but I've I really got to get to work here and, and figure out my own system, you know, to do that. So that's that's the difference. You know, I, a lot of guys, when I talk to them, they say, you know, how long is it going to take or, or how many photos do we get? And I'm like, again, quality over quantity. I'm, I i do not even like giving people a number because some projects don't take as much, you know, there's not as big of a project, but then some are monsters, you know, and it can be 30, 40 shots in the end, you know, a lot more time put into it. But, um, it's just the way I've, I've come across it and the way I do it now, you know, um, and why is it why is it so important that you know builders have a good photographer like yourself doing their photos? I mean, what are they what are they doing with these photos exactly? Well, I really think it's it's all about marketing, right? I mean, I used to say in Athens when I managed that music venue I spoke about earlier, you know, we we could have had the Rolling Stones playing on a Friday night, just hypothetically, you know, but if nobody knew the show was going on, nobody's going to be there. Nobody's buying a ticket. Nobody's coming out. You know, I personally think with with all of the builders that I work for and all these beautiful projects that I see, I mean, if if that's your business, you know, how are people, how are you going to find new clients? You know, if you don't show them, I don't think the project is fully done until it's been shot, you know, and that's not me just supporting, hey, you know, hire Jimmy kind of thing. But I just think in business, that's the truth. You know, I mean, you have to, you have to show people your work, you know, and you, and you want to show that in the best way possible you know, to get more work. So, right. And what exactly, I mean, what services do you offer if you were to bring the majority of your equipment to a job? Um, what do you usually got in the bag? Oh, wow. So you guys pretty much saw everything. I mean, I'm traveling now, so you see just about everything I bring with me. Um, but there's probably, I counted up at one point, probably 40, 45 grand worth of equipment, you know, between on my back and one Pelican case and a tripod and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, uh, I've got, I've got two cameras. Uh, I shoot with Nikons. Currently I'm shooting with D810s. They're fine for the resolution. They're bigger than Ansel Adams would roll over in his grave, you know, <laughs> if he could see the resolution we have now, but they're, they're fine for, for what we do. I don't, I don't need the newest and latest thing. You know, these things can print almost billboard size, you know, and still be fine. So for eight by 10, you know, magazines or, you know, anything on Instagram websites, you know, we've got plenty of resolution with those, but I have two, a lot of people ask, why do you carry two cameras? Well, what happens if I get to the job and one's going to crap out at some point, you know, and go bad. So I have to have a backup. Um, then I've got multiple flashes. I, I pretty much stick with the flash I was using that you guys saw last night. Uh, I bought that uh, towards the beginning of the season last year. It was one of the best investments I ever made. It's a, uh, it's a pro photo. Uh, B1X, and I mean, the thing you can get on one battery charge, which one thing I really loved about it was I think I can get over almost 400 flashes at full power, and a full power on that flash, you got saw it, it's like a little cannon, you mm-hmm. know. Um, that's It's brighter than daylight. So, um, but with I don't use it on that power, so I mean, I can shoot four or five days in a row usually on one charge, you know, and then you saw that beauty dish is what that's called, that, that kind of umbrella that goes on the end of it. 
that's there to soften light and I can control, you know, how the light moves over an object, you know, with that. Um, but I get a really big spread. I can, I can throw light across an entire backyard if I need to in one pop. Now, what I was doing when I started, and I started adding flashes and layering exposures and all these things I'm talking about, it, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of people were – started a lot of builders across the country started calling me The Flash, right? Because I walk into this <laughs> – It's a pretty cool name. <laughs> Man, I'll take that name for sure. But I come in and what I was using was a monopod. You know, so it's like, and I put a smaller speed light flash on the end, and that was so I could reach out, you know, to get to places and and reach over into pools and that kind of thing. Now I've got enough power where I don't have to do that. I can throw light much farther. But um, yeah, you were I, getting into pools too, like in the beginning, right? Well, kind of getting into them and I, to shoot I still do. You know, <laughs> um, it's funny. You know, I, I've got several pictures you've probably seen on social media. You know. It, we always laugh. Just in L.A., Ryan Cloud was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the common thing everybody does. And I turn around and said, what is it? And he goes, I'm getting my picture of Jimmy while he's shooting a picture, you know, at my project. And, um, you know, I'm always behind the camera, never really in front of it. So, um, but, yeah, I've got several people always get those photos once I'm, I'm barefoot and pants rolled up or in board shorts or something, you know, like crawling <laughs> around in the pool. Um, it's really weird being on the other side of it because you have to, like, ask people sometimes. Like I'm, I'm usually not in photos, so I'll be like, "Hey, can um, I don't know how to say this? Can you take a picture of me?" Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just want people to know I exist. Right. <laughs> this I is a, the last picture was taken of me. I was five years old. <laughs> I have a whole folder of pictures of Greg. Right. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll yeah. throw them out. A whole terabyte. <laughs> drive, uh, pictures of me. Yeah. That's awesome. But oh, so your question. What, you uh, you were asking what I bring to jobs. What you want to go back to that question? Yeah. So the other thing too is I know that you do you do drone shots as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, usually the first thing I do when I get to a job is put put a drone in the air. Um, I use a if you're interested in what I what I fly. Um, I use a Mavic Two Pro. It's just what I've had. One of the first drones I bought. Um, and I think it's really important, you know, especially for the builders because they what's the first drawing they do. You know, if if they're designing a pool or laying something out, they're doing a top down, you know, kind of satellite view drawing of the project. And that's that's the best comparison. You know, a lot of guys will take that drone shot, just a straight down shot and, you know, post that next to what they're drawing. It kind of makes them it shows like the, the accuracy of their work. You know, hey, this is what we showed the client we can build and this is exactly what what they got. So that's important. And then also, you know. You're able to get – I feel like the minute you put the drone in the air, you're just getting an angle that nobody really sees. You know, So it just, it's got a natural kind of makes the photos more interesting. Um, it's like but, another service you're tacking on too because it's cool to see all these beautiful photos. And then there's like a you know, top-down shot yeah. of the entire build. That's, that's pretty cool. Have you ever had any issues flying the drone? Because I know that – I didn't realize it, but you know, when I got my first drone that it was pretty loud – and kind of gets everybody's attention. And then, you know, if you're by an airport, everybody wants can. to come talk to you while you're flying the drone, right? Yeah. And it's like, dude, I don't even know how to fly this thing. I'm going to try and get it down before the battery dies. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And when you tried to fly it over that pool that one time and like it almost landed in the pool and there was like, <laughs> you were like on the edge, like trying to grab oh, it so it didn't go in the pool. <laughs> my the, the YouTube thing said that if I put my hand out and it, it was doing it, I think I was more scared because I was like, God, don't go in the pool. Please. Yeah. Cause you like brand new. That was the second time you flew it, or something. We'll lay out, <laughs> lay out for it. What kind of what kind of drone do you have? 
Or did you have before you crashed? I still it? have it. Uh, no, <laughs> it, it's been good. I think it's only gotten like a couple bushes or something. But um, I think it's uh, it's not the Mavic. Is it like the Storm or I'm not sure. I know it's D. Was it DJI? Yeah, yeah, DJI. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which one it is, but it's like I think it's right below a Mavic Pro, though. Yeah. So I saw I saw some guys that w- when the drones first spark. Got- Okay. There we go. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember the company, but I, I found this thing. It was like um, on Alibaba, if you're familiar with that. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and it, it only took like two months for it to come in once I ordered it, you know. But um, I had these tiny – at the time, it was the world's smallest drones. You know, they're like 19 bucks, mm-hmm. right? So I bought two. And I had, them, <laughs> I had them shipped to the islands. And I started – and these things were squirrely. I mean, there was no no GPS, <laughs> no, no anything oh, like that in it. But um, – I had seen a fellow on YouTube that was, he worked in the movie industry and he was one of the first guys really doing drone shots, you know, back then. And he said, look, this is what I recommend. And I followed his his advice. So I bought two of these $19 little squirrely drones, little toys essentially. And, but the controlling was the same yawn pitch, you know, it just, just like the nicest drone you can on the market, probably you can buy, they're all controlled the same. And, um, he said, learn how to fly that first because you can wreck that thing everywhere and, you know, you're not out of pocket. He said, and then, you know, crawl before you walk kind of thing, step up. So I took these things and, you know, they, they charged by USB cord. You know, I'd plug them into the laptop, took five minutes, charge this little battery, and then you got like three minutes of flight time. <laughs> but I would just hover them maybe an inch off of the tile, you know, on the floor in the apartment. And I just learned how to go forward, backwards, do figure eights, you know, whatever. And then I got I got crazy and, you know, got like a foot off the ground, you know. <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, once I learned that. Um, those little ones are much more difficult. Oh, and that's oh, the yeah. point. I but, bought one of those little ones from Toys R Us and I, I whacked Crean in the head with it. <laughs> Like it's just like and just shoots across like whoa I don't know it's like it's like you know this thing's got to go yeah and so you know I I broke one like when Tilt tried to eat it also you know he's chasing around (laughs) but anyway um, so the minute I bought the first one that I bought was the Mavic Pro and I mean you add the GPS to it all that other stuff and then boom it's a piece of cake you know and and I came. I guess, you know, my drone experience, you know, coming up with it was if you could fly those little squirrely guys, you could fly anything. Now, problems that come with it, I've, if you get too close to an airport, you know, they've got you locked in on a GPS with those things and you have definite no-fly zones, you know. So I, I've got some projects where, hey, you know, just, you know, can't shoot this one. Uh, you can go through ropes and try to get permission, you know, from from, you know, the local airport or air traffic control and set it up, you know, that kind of thing and get permission to bypass it. But um, I'd say 99% of the pools, it's fine. You know? yeah. and, and I'm not really flying that high. You know, I, I was actually one of the podcasts, you know, on the way here, I was listening to Chris Anderson from Ledge Lounders and he, he was right. He said something about, you know, why put the thing, you know, I think he, what do you say? 3000 feet in the air. That, that was way, <laughs> way overboard. But, um, yeah, it does, you know, good. You can't even see the pool. Right. So I'm, I'm typically yeah. anywhere from 10 feet above up to, you know, yeah, you definitely feet, wouldn't want to do that here. You'd see 50 other pools. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Same shot. So which one am I looking at? Yeah. You guys. And that, and that happens a lot, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, it does you no good to get too high in the air with it. But. Right. So, you know, if somebody's going to hire a photographer, you know, how can they best prepare the photographer for a photo shoot? Because, you know, in doing this, we see a lot of websites. We even see a lot of manufacturers' websites and all kinds of different things. And we think that that is definitely an area we can grow in. Um, 
And this is kind of speaking towards professionalism and the way that you look and the way your business looks. And it's just, uh, I don't want to say easy, but get hiring a photographer to come out and take photos of your, the services you provide, which is, you know, if you're cleaning swimming pools, pool service and repair, obviously you want to get most of those steps in that you do so that you can show, um, future customer, you know, what it is that you do, but you can use those photos on your website, um, your uh, Yelp page or Google page, Instagram, you know, kind of spread it out a little bit. Cause that needs to be a little bit more kind of phone organic type stuff, but it's really cool. All the different things you can do, but it's also important to understand that, you know, you're in the pool industry, but a lot of other photographers that you might want to do things like this for you might not be in the pool industry. Um, so it's better to prepare them a little bit, maybe having some kind of storyboard or script. It's like, you know, I want, you know, these 20 shots because this is what I'm going to do with them. So you think it's a good idea to have some kind of plan, you know, before going into that? Well, I I can speak from my experience, you know, I I can tell you why a lot of the guys hire me. And after I do a job, they go, okay, we're always bringing you back. Um, they've, I've heard a lot of stories where people have said, man, we've tried everything. We've hired wedding photographers. We've hired, you know, kids out of school even, you know, um, just everything, but never really been satisfied with shots totally. Um, but for me, what they like, you know, I have a lot of builders that don't even come to the project. You know, they give me the address. They tell the clients, hey, we Jimmy's coming to town. We're sending him over. He'll be here this day. And I, I never even – see the builder sometimes I might stop by eat lunch or something but I'm I'm working right you know and I actually like to shoot that way without anybody around last night when you guys were hanging out it's it it was cool you know everything's fine but it's we're talking and everything going on I I try to get in a zone you know to think because I'm I'm there to be creative and you know figure out the project but but that's one thing that a lot of guys like I know how the service boxes work for example you know or I've got all the the phone apps you know as long as I've got a password um you know, I can log into the to the actual pool and control all of the water features and the lights and that kind of thing. That allows me to stand behind the camera and not have to do so much running around and just concentrate on shooting. And, you know, I can still go to the service box if I have to and control it manually that way. But, um, you know, a lot of times what they've told me is, you know, if we hire somebody that hasn't spent the time to learn the industry, you know, and learn how to do a lot of these things, then we have to go and babysit them. You know, and and it's a real learning curve, you know. And, I mean, here I am, I don't know, last year I think I shot like 150 pools, you know, in the season from April until November. But, you know, you got the year before that and the year before that. So I've just done it enough. You know, that's why I was joking last night. I was like, I'm not going to go over there and turn that service box. I got a bunch of service guys here. They all know how it works. But, you (laughs) know, I've I've taken assistance with me before. And, you know, I've said, okay, you go down there and you got to switch it from, you know, um, auto to service, and then you're going to look for this button and whatever, but then I wind up doing it myself, you know, until they can learn it. But, but yeah, so my advice to, to people that are trying to shoot the pools, I think, you know, I typically go in and get, I try to get money shots first, you know, well, after flying the drone, you know, I do that early. Drones don't work as well in lower light levels, so I shoot first when I'm there. And a big thing is, is I try to, I try to shoot the pools in the evenings, it's easier, you know, and that's more for the customers or the clients, the homeowners. Because, you know, if I'm there and I want everybody to turn the lights on in the house and I'm trying to be there at sunrise is what I'm saying, that's kind of going backwards. I can shoot sunset and sunrise. You know, essentially sunset is just the reverse of sunrise or vice versa. But waking somebody up at 6 a.m., you know, with a photographer in their backyard is a lot tougher. So I only do it at sunrise and if there's some kind of view 
you know, that really requires sunrise to get, get the perfect shots or the best shots possible. We do that. But lighting and timing is important. So I typically, I'll get to the pools at least two hours before sunset. And then that first hour is for me to fly the drone, learn the pool, look around, and kind of start picking shots, you know. But then that hour is a lot of, a lot of you guys may know that's golden hour, mm-hmm. right, that hour leading up to sunset. And then what a lot of people don't know is as the sun sets, once it goes below the horizon, they call the next hour blue hour, right? And that's where your sky really kind of lights up, you know, with all your pastel colors, you know, depending on where you're at, you know, on, on the planet. But um, so that's your window, you know, where you really want to shoot because you get the best lighting possible. Now, you have to shoot past sunset into that blue hour or twilight because it's you got two things going on, you know, when you shoot outdoors and, and with these pools. You've got ambient light, you know. Um, you've got, you know, your sun or even after the sun goes down, you still got ambient light, you know, with just our daylight that's bouncing around under the clouds. and um, But then you've got artificial light and that's the pool lights that's the house lights you know anything on the property landscaping lights and the the real sweet spot to hit is when the ambient light goes down low enough to where the artificial light comes up and matches it and what i'm talking about is where the exposures are the same and you got that like 10 maybe 15 minute window depending on the project where everything's just perfect you know i mean you're shooting exposures where you're almost getting everything in a shot. So I, for somebody that's using a phone, let's say a builder that's just shooting, you know, a project on his own, that's that window, you know, um, right around where the sun hits the horizon and a little bit right after it. But, um, but same thing for a photographer, you know, out shooting pools, you know, that that's your window. And they should know that already, you know, to an extent. It's just uh, I deal with a lot of people that or a lot of friends, you know, photographers, they're either a architectural or interior photographer and they deal with lights of different colors they're always indoors you know the only thing really ambient outside light they deal with is what they can see out the window right right but then you deal with like a talk to a landscape photographer you know that travels the country or goes wherever you know to destinations and shoots these amazing like go to the grand canyon you know close to us and you go up there and you're gonna find 50 photographers every day you know standing on the edge trying to get that landscape sunset shot but they don't have artificial lighting so in in the pool industry that's important and you know i should say the looking at the pool during the daytime, you know, before the sunsets and looking at the pool an hour after the sunsets, a lot of times they're two different projects. You know, I mean, it's a totally different look. So you try to capture that because the guys a lot of times designed it that way. You know, that, that's an important thing with the pool. It's like, hey, during the day, it's great. But check out what it looks like at night. You know, right. It's a whole different ambience. So, you know, and I want to kind of get back to this a little bit because I want to know exactly because I think there's a lot of people that struggle with, you know, what type of photographer that they should use. And I'm talking more of people that because there's only so much you can do. You can't take care of every service company, every builder, every manufacturer. There's only so much you can do. Maybe one day you can. But, you know, it's more really want to know, like, what type of photographer people should be looking out for. Maybe where can they find them? Where's a good kind of website where you can find a photographer? Um, And just I think important um, things to know or, you know, what kind of edits are they going to make to these photos? Cause I think that's really important that you work with somebody that's not going to do too much crazy stuff to the photos. Cause there needs to be, especially for, you know, the type of photos that you do, you can't do too many crazy, you know, say vintage edits or something because I need to know what the true color of the tile is. And I need to know what, sure. I need to know what the lighting looks like because that's pretty deceiving, 
you know, to take a photo of something and you make such crazy edits to it and you can get there and it doesn't look anything like that. Right. So, and I understand like your pictures look like paintings, but the best way I've been able to, you know, describe it is that it almost looks like, like when we see your photos, it almost looks like what you would see with your own eyes. Because even your camera without any edits gets a really good photo but what you see in real life is like beyond 4k it's like the real like thing you can see all the color and beauty in it and you know looking at your photos it's kind of more like you know popping out and it looks like this just you know crazy painting yeah so that's that's kind of two questions uh the first you were saying um what kind of photographer uh if it were me you know i mean everything's on the internet pretty much you know i would I would Google, I would maybe go with um, architectural, you mm-hmm. know, photographers, maybe look, see who's shooting real estate, that kind of thing. But but with the interior and architectural photographers, you're going to find people that have flashes, you know, that kind of thing. They're probably going to have more equipment and be used to that. Um, but if somebody doesn't bring a flash, is that, does are they not prepared? No, I'm not going to say that at all, but um, it can just be so much more. You know, I mean, and you're going back to when I first started, you know, I've I've crafted what I do, you know, to make things the best. If you get there and there's not light, then you need to bring it, you know. So having a flash, you may use it sometimes, you may not, you know. More of the time I do for not just reasons of, you know, adding light, but adding texture to things. You know, I'll give you an example. I shot a pool for Randy Angel. I don't know if it was his project or pool environments. They kind of work together a good bit. And um. I'm there, and it's an infinity, you know, edge, but I was standing on the front of it, and I'm looking back at these, like, laid tile stones, you know, that are they're the whole edge on the front of this infinity. It's going into a catch basin, and the shot was there. It was sunrise. I was there shooting cloud. Sky was perfect. Stars lined. You know, everything's looking great, but I, I looked at the tile, and I just thought it was kind of flat, so what I did, I went, and I shot. I, I popped flashes down the side of the, the wall of the tile. And that brought out all the texture. So, and you could see that in the photo right off the bat. I mean, it just really drew, you know, drew your eye to the, the stones. And um, next thing I know, you know, I got, gave the edits to those guys. I think it was Randy that emailed me or copied me on an email to the company that built those. And they were like, oh, wow, man, can we use this photo or can we buy this photo from you? But they had not seen, you know, their tile. It was just a really good photo of their, or their product, you know. Um, so... The flashes just aren't for adding light. You know, a lot of time it's creating texture. I do that on grass a lot. You know, I'll shoot across the grass to give it a texture where it's not so flat. You're trying in photography, you work in a two-dimensional medium. You know, you're looking at a, a print, you know, think about it like a piece of paper, you know. But but the more I can add shading and lighting and create textures and depth in the photos, that holds you in the photo. So the only way really to do that is by adding light and choosing where you add it. So flashes are very important, you know, but um, I'm not saying you have to, if you're out there and you're a photographer, you have to just go all flashes, you know, to shoot. Sometimes you don't really, you don't want it. It's overkill, you know, especially during the day when they don't do as much, you know, um, they don't change that much, you know, when the sun's bright, you know, noon, something like that. But again, that's why I shoot in the evening. So kind of your first question the second was what were we talking about at the end of that well, i mean you know and i'm gonna do a write-up for this so that you know because the podcast as a resource for information is you know would would it benefit a photographer like yourself if they somebody wrote you know the exact photos that they wanted they didn't just get there and wing it does that help you at all 
Like if you have an idea of it's like I need 20 shots and I need dit, 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 does that help when you get there? You might not know what some of the – if somebody says I need a picture of me, you know, dumping, uh, you know, a pump basket. You might not know what that means, but it might – you know, might feel better knowing that, okay, this guy knows what he wants. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think about that all the time. So again, for me, I, a lot of times the builders know they don't have to be there with me. However, what I will do, especially with designers, I'll get to the project and I'll say, look, you're busy, do your thing. I'll be there, count on that. But I'm going to get there a little bit early and call you. And I, they know the project well enough because they built it or designed it. You know, and they spent all this time to, you know, make the final, you know, product. But I'll walk around the, pro- the project and say, hey, what's special about this pool to you? What kind of photos do you want? You know, is there anything I should concentrate on? Sometimes that can be some guy just built his first Lautner Edge pool, you know, and, and he really needs photos of that to show his clients, you know, and, and he's proud of it, you know, maybe. Um, again, I, I think of Randy Angel all the time. You know, Randy, I was on a project with him. We walked through it for like five minutes, and he had this recessed, like there were plants, like uh, vases with these plants in it that was just recessed in this wall. And it was just a cool detail on, on the project and probably had a lot, you know, going on, but that was just something to him that he personally wanted to show. He just liked that detail. So I said, okay, cool. You know, he's an artist. We'll, we'll get that for sure. But, but yes, you could have a list, you know, like that, that helps you're giving the customer what they want. You know, it probably helps you a lot too, because you know that, if you send somebody something where there are 20 specific shots because you know you need them for your website or something, you know that that's what you're going to get. And if you're there during the photo shoot and a part of it and these boxes aren't getting checked off and it's like, hey, we missed one because you don't want to, you know, have the photographer send you a Dropbox of, you know, 18 photos. And it's like, where's 19 and 20? I need that. That's my shot for my about us section. It's a picture of myself and my brother. That's the banger. Like, I I know you took it. Like, (laughs) what's going on here? But I think it's important that, you know, because you should have a plan for everything that you do. And the photos are such a big part of that in showing people what you can do and what you're good at. So, you know, just having that scripted in that way, I feel like it's easier for the photographer as well. Because it's like, we don't need to be out here all day. Because, you know, you need to be allowed to be a little bit artistic for a cool photo. But... There needs to be like, you know, sort of an agenda so you're not sitting out there all day long. Yeah, the list helps. I think if you're a photographer that haven't shot pools, that kind of puts you on track. Let's say that. Uh, for me, I think this, most people don't shoot pools. Right. right. <laughs> That's more what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so for me, I've just done so much of it. I kind of know what to look for. But I always ask, you know, is there something on this project, whatever. A lot of guys, some guys tell me, hey, you're the photographer. And that's why I hired you. And I go, well, okay, cool. But, you know, I'm trying to get a little deeper than that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you up above and beyond, you know, how could this certain, how could certain shots help your business more? You know, what do you need on your website more of or whatever? But, um, yeah, so some guys just cut me loose, you know, but, but I always ask and that's where the conversation just naturally happens. And I go, okay, cool. I would have probably not focused on something that they mentioned, but I do, but yeah, you you could go the the list route, and I've had some people that just do that. You know, they say we want the pergola, you know, we want this area, you know, that area. I, I tell you, Ryan Hughes, if you're familiar with him, uh, he's down in Tampa, and I, I shot one for him in D.C. this past season, and it was really cool because the the backyard there in D.C. it had great landscaping, you know, a lot of color to it, and and the pool, I guess you say the tiles and the 
you know, um, you know, the deck and everything. It, it all worked as a color scheme. But they named this thing uh, Modern Tranquility. And, and his need, like what, what he told me, you know, he, he just spelled it out before I even asked. He said, look, it seems crazy, though, because all the, every light in the, in the project, um, the owner there, he does, builds web apps, right? So he made his own app for all of the, the lighting. I mean, I'm walking in with the typical apps that everybody has, you know, but it wasn't the way this job went. I had to get with Ryan even said, look, just get with the owner because, you know, it's kind of crazy what he's got on his phone. But he could dial up and down and change color to anything on any of the, the lights in the project. Well, Ryan even said, he said, look, what I want you to do is show it naturally and turn all the lights to colors that match the landscaping, you know, during the day and going into the evening. But he said the deal of this project was, at nighttime, you can make this thing look like anything. Are you having a, a, you know, whatever your favorite football team is or sports team kind of party? Make the whole place look like their colors. You know, if you're having a Sweet Sixteen or, you know, a new baby's born, you want all blues or something for a boy. Whatever you could, you could literally change the project. You know, the look of it. So he said, man, last time I was up there and saw it when it got done, it looked like, you know, a casino in Vegas or something. You know, he's like, <laughs> tell him just set it on that. You know, but, it, um, yeah, and I would have walked in there with, you know. I, I could have done anything I wanted to do, but I shot the project the way he wanted it to look, you know, to to show people this is possible. You know, you can have a project where you can control the lighting to this extent. So That's really cool. Is that the one he submitted for that award? I know that there was some kind of uh, thing going on. And he was pushing up, up one pool in particular that I really remember pretty. Well, pretty there's, there's one down in Tampa that I actually got to see. And, and walk on the project afterward. And that was one that was on, this was before I met Ryan. Um, that was one that was on one of the covers of Luxury Pool magazine. And then, you know, you get on the cover of that magazine, you're everywhere, you know, instantly. But your photo was just on there, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've, I've had the past two issues or, or each photos of mine. And um, that's been a big plus, you know, for me. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a, awesome. In our industry, that's a huge. I mean, that's the National Geographic, you know, for us, yeah. essentially. But, and then uh, I actually got the pleasure of meeting Carol, the publisher for them, out in uh, Vegas at the International Trade Show. She's awesome. She's somebody you guys might want to talk to at some point. She's kind of like the, the mom of the industry. I feel like she's been around for so long. She, yeah. she knows everybody on the way. I think we met her in Orlando. She was at their booth for oh, like a brief yeah. second. But, yeah, before we were really doing this full time. Because they have like uh, Ocean as well. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think they've got four magazines, you know, um, total that they they cover. But, you know, in our industry, typically, you know, Ocean Home or whatever, a lot of times it's a pool or a house, you know, showing a pool over an ocean so on the covers. But, yeah, she was checking on me. She was texting me, actually, on the way out here yesterday when I was driving in from Vegas. And she was like, all right, did you, have you left L.A. yet? You know, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we're done. You'll get those photos. I'm sure he's going to send them <laughs> to you. And then she was asking about how the Vegas jobs went. So, She's she's a great person in the industry to know, but that's awesome. So, is there any you know best practices for just taking photos, even with just your cell phone? I mean, I I use my phone a lot, and so does Ty and Kyle. But is there any tips? You know, rule of thirds. You know, even because I know there's a lot of I think there's probably been some people that ask that you know they're kind of a one man show and they might be just taking care of a pool. You know, how are they supposed to get that shot? You know, would you recommend, you know, bringing the tripod or just, you know, what do you what do you got for us? Okay, so that's that could that's a really broad question. Right. (laughs) But let's say no matter who you are, you guys, you know, sitting here in the studio, 
let's say any pool builder you can think of, uh, you know, day to day shooting pictures of your kids. I don't care. But I've always told people just take a one on one photography class at some point if you have the time and it'll change the rest of your life because you'll you'll have to focus and start thinking about photos. But general rules kind of things. Um, Rule of thirds. People talk about that instead of putting a subject just in the dead center of the photo, you know, just shift it over to one side or the other. It kind of gives it a little bit of interest, you know. I think rules are meant to be broken. You know, I mean, you learn all those rules first, and then you turn around, and, and some shots don't need those rules. You know, um, if everybody just shot the same way, that'd always be the exact same photos, right? Um, but it, rule of thirds is a pretty common one. I, one thing in photography school that they talked to us a lot about was before, and this is back again in film when you got one click, you know, and, there, and you didn't have Photoshop really, you know, to take things out as easily and all that. Um, but they would say, make sure you run your eye around the frame. Okay, because if just by shifting the camera, whether it's a phone or an actual DSLR or whatever it is, you shift that camera just a little bit, take out the distracting, you know, whatever it is over on the right or the left, you know, the frame or the guy picking his nose in the corner. You didn't didn't quite see. (laughs) Yeah. When you shoot um, people, for example, they used to tell us, make sure there's nothing annoying sticking out of their head. You know, I've seen people make this point. They'll have somebody stand where there's this you know, bush behind their head and it looks like the person in the photo's got an afro. You know, <laughs> or you put somebody with a ceiling fan, you know, behind them the way you're shooting, it looks like they got stars, you know, coming out of their head. But yeah, you just have to really pay attention, look at what's going on. I think the best way, and Greg, I think you and I were kind of talking about this on the phone, you know, a couple of days ago, but I think the best way to learn anything, and I'm not a big believer on either you're just born, you know, with an eye, you know, I've gotten better over the years, definitely, but I, th- I think it's something you have to submerge yourself in. And that could be, it's kind of like music, you know. Even Jimi Hendrix didn't pick up the guitar, and he was just all of a sudden Jimi Hendrix, you know. And everybody knew he played and played and played and played, just like any whoever you think is a great musician. You know, we could go on forever on that. But um, photography is the same way. Uh, painting, you know, you could take that medium. You just you just have to do it long enough, and you get better. And then you start to study other artists, right? So. Photography is really easy because photography is everywhere. You know, if you want to start studying, well, I'm not going to say pool photos. You can go to my Instagram account, right? But um, if you want to study architectural photography, go look at any, you know, find a good Instagram account and just start rolling through the photos. Flip through a magazine. I tell a lot of builders and people I shoot for all the time, one pet peeve of mine that people don't do. And, and if I say this, you'll notice it in, in all my photos. And it, it's more prominent in architectural photography. You know, if, if an architect... Well, let me say this first. You got to get everything straight vertically and horizontally. So if you flip through Architectural Digest and start really paying attention to those photos, kind of subliminally, people don't know until I say this, they they look at the photos and they're thinking, man, all these are great. And, great. and they are. And there's great, all kinds of photographers, you know, chipping in on that magazine. But they're trying to represent what the guy built and, and show it. You know, if, if that architect made sure and when they built everything's beautiful project, Everything's perfectly straight. The tile on the floor, all the lines, they're, they're parallel. You know, if you go out and you take your iPhone, even even an iPhone, and you angle it up or down, everything gets distorted mm-hmm. now. And I, and I absolutely, it just, it's like putting your fingernails on a chalkboard when I see, like, this beautiful project, but the camera was tilted up. And now the, you know, all the columns in this pergola or, or you know, cabana area, they're, they're bowing out. Sometimes you get forced into a shot where you're up on a balcony or something. You have to look down, you know, that kind of thing. But I take a lot of time to try to get the camera on the tripod or crawl over something or hang from something and get that thing 
perfectly level, you know, where, where everything's true, you know, right. in the shot. So even shooting with, uh, you know, we all have iPhones. I don't know. What do you have? I got an iPhone. iPhone. You're talking cell phone. You can even shoot in grids like to take, you know, in the, in the yep. beginning. So if you have the grid feature on, it'll actually, you can line it. So if I'm taking a picture in this room where the banner is at the end, you know, I could get that grid line like spot on if, you know, that's kind of my subject matter. Something, you know, the computer's going to kind of go down because of its shape, but it's like the subject matter. It's like right on that grid line. Right. And it'll just help out anyway. I used it for a little bit, but I kind of mess with me because I was like, it's not, I'm not going to see grids in my photos. I need to see the real photo. Yeah. Lighting again is always important. You know, it's as simple as this. If you're going to shoot a picture, like a portrait of some people, I'm talking just with your iPhone, you know, Hey, everybody get together. We're going to shoot a quick picture. If it's during the day, make sure that people's faces are towards the sun, you know, not blinding them, but don't have people, you know, in shadow with the, with the sun to their background. That's going to make everything real contrast anyway. But um, yeah, but I, I really think other than just rules, I think you just have to really start using your eyes and, and studying photography. And, and I don't mean going to school for it. I mean, like I said, flipping through marketing media, look at any magazine, just pick up, pick up a magazine, start paying attention, you know, to how shots are done. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it before, but you know, have a separate Instagram account that doesn't do anything. It's just, it's just a f- bunch of followers of inspiration where it's photographers, it's brands, it's different things like that. So it's like need a little bit of inspiration and roll through it and be like, Oh wow, that's crazy. You know right. what I mean? It's like the subways kind of blurred out and the subject matter, which is probably the person is like just clear and focused. And then there's like maybe some weird thing going on over here. Like it's really cool seeing all these different types of photographers in the world. Cause it's a, it's a pretty big deal now because we have social media um, and that's how we get our point across. It's not just words anymore. You kind of have to like, there's got to be some visual behind it. So there's all kinds of things that you can look at, but you know that, what was the photographer's name that you, the black and white photographer you were talking to me about on the phone? You said it on the episode as well. Uh, Ansel Adams. I yeah. think you're thinking about. Good. Everybody listen, go check that dude out because that guy, I did was, you not, did dude, you not know who Ansel was before? Dude. Well, so some of those pictures, after I looked it up, I definitely had seen some of those pictures before, yeah. but I was just like blown away because those were some of the raddest shots that I've seen. Yeah. Ansel was a real deal. You know, any, even today still, if you take just about any photography course, you know, high school, college, you know, something just locally that you can find, um, it was always, especially in film, it, that was 101 black and white photography with Ansel Adams. That was the book they gave you. And, you know, Ansel's known for, he, he lived out in California, but he traveled all over the West out here in all these areas. And a lot of people back then, you know, they had, we hadn't really expanded out here and they had not seen, you know, um, Yellowstone, you know, that kind of, some of the parks and things. He was traveling through that when there were no roads, there were no stores to stop by, you know, he was just kind of a, uh, hiker and you know out in wilderness and just trying to show the beauty of it well then it, the story went on if you really read up on him he he met with a couple of the presidents and that's why a lot of those parks got formed he just mm. showed people you know the rest of the west coast you know so it's even more impressive you know what i mean he wasn't didn't have a motorcycle didn't have a car didn't have yeah. this dude was like dude was you know horseback yeah he was trucking <laughs> it man he was walking to these locations which is really cool yeah so we talked a lot about the builders and everything you do is there like for the service companies or smaller companies that mostly doing Instagram stuff is there certain ways to frame a pool or focus on the water 
or something you can give us a tip on like for those kind of like people are just shooting maybe for their their regular feeds and to get customers you know to for them to service their pools or- well so let me ask you a question right back at it. what do you really want to show you want to show people cleaning doing what the services are in the photos yeah some of those and then maybe some of the like before and after effects like of a storm pool and then like a clean pool you know you kind of want to put mirror them together or something like that where you can show your, the quality of work you did i guess on okay yeah so before and afters are always good you know i mean if you got calcium build up on something maybe i'm just going off the cusp here mm-hmm. but then show it before and then show it after, maybe close-ups. But if you're wanting to show, like, if you're trying to market yourself as a service, you know, as what you do, I would go back to what we were saying earlier about what kind of photographer and find a good portrait photographer that's good at working with people. You know, architectural and what I do, there's typically nobody there. You know, this is just a blank canvas other than what's been built. So, but, yeah, I would find somebody like that. A lot of close-ups, you know, of actual work going on, you know, what people are doing. Does that answer your question somewhat, or yeah? I mean, like just just like focusing on the water too. If you're taking a p- picture of a clean pool, like just using the square option or whatever on the iPhone or something, that's going to be most, more more for Instagram. Is there certain things you can do with the water to craft or shape it, or you know, make the pool look a little bit well cleaner? You besides know, editing options, because <laughs> I know yeah. like you, you know, turned off some features to kind of get like that still water sort of shot. And I also noticed something else that I don't think a lot of people would have caught was you knew that when we were taking that chlorine floater out of the spa, you're like, Hey, if you could like take it off the, like this <laughs> other way so that there, but that's something I would do. Right. It's the details because so they of that drip water on the, yeah, it would deck. drip water there. And then you would see these like spots and it's not like you might not think it's a crazy deal, but it's still kind of, it can be an eyesore when you see little things off like it. It's like, why is this spot here? You know what I mean? Yeah, I um yeah, all the time I deal with that. If I get to a project and you know, somebody's in and say, Hey, let me clean these leaves out, you know, with a net and next thing you know, they're dripping water all over this deck and now I got a, a water line. Some of that I can take out in Photoshop, right? But I'm like, look, we go one way or the other, guys. We either keep it all dry or, you know, we wet the whole deck down. Some guys want that. The problem with that is you have to continuously hose the thing down in between shots, you know, as things dry. But um I would think I would think close-ups, you know, like um, low shots for some reason comes into mind, you know, things close to the water. I mean, obviously you have everything pristine, you know, before you shoot like that. But um, I think that's really cool. I don't think you see that too much. Like if you think about what we do, we're trying to make water, you know, clear, safe, all these different things. But you've got like kind of a nice close-up where you might see deck, tile, pool, and the water is just like you know, see through clear, you know what I mean? I, if I were looking at yeah, pool and service company and one of their shots was just a really, really clear pool, you know, that would be really good. Yeah. I don't think editing wise, you know, afterwards, so to say in the dark room, there's a way to really make the water look more clear, you know, yeah. but definitely, definitely get the water clear. I would push the envelope. Maybe it's just me personally. And it's not as easy to come by. I mean, I come from a scuba diving and commercial diving background, but I shoot a lot underwater, but I think, underwater shots you know might be might be kind of cool for some reason i'm seeing like two bare feet standing on a baja you know on the edge or something you know shot back just underwater but if the water is really clear i mean you can show that off you know mm-hmm. but um, and those shots are so they're kind of tricky you might think like oh let's just sink a gopro and you know kind of get that shot but there's a little bit a little bit more to it i actually even rigged up i put my video camera in tupperware 
It was like a real deep, it was like two <laughs> feet awesome. Tupperware. Oh, I saw a picture on Instagram. Somebody was messing with it, but they must have had something else. I don't know. Seemed like it was easier for them, but <laughs> dropped it in there and it was cool because, you know, the water wasn't going in. You know, I still had about that much water and then I just had it in there and I was just kind of like shifting around kind of like, uh, what do you call it? Like a gimbal? Like a gimbal, sort of okay. speak. And I was just holding on to the handles and, like, filming underneath it. And it actually wasn't too bad, but there's definitely, like, that camera you had, like, with that picture of the California Rock Solid Tile shirt in it. Yeah, Jimmy Reed. Yeah. yeah. Like, that camera looked like something, like, a surfer photographer would have out. Yeah, that's a that's a C-cam housing. That's, I got an icon in it. That I, that I shoot with, and because um, you can get, can you get a housing for most cameras, like a water housing? You can. It gets pricey for DSLRs because every, you know, how computers and cameras are the same way. There's a new one coming out every six months, right? So they have to go back. If you need to be able to control every setting, every button on that particular model camera, then you got a housing that has to mimic every one of those buttons. So it's it's just it's a kind of a luxury item, you know, or just an expensive item. You know, but I really feel like you need to be working in that to justify, you know, paying the money for for that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't think um, anybody anytime soon is going to be <laughs> buying one of those. Well, I haven't I'll, shown you. I haven't shown you the photos yet. But when we went scuba diving in Hawaii, is that that lady's camera was crazy tricked out. Oh, like, really? I haven't shown you the photos yet, but they're super cool because, like, with the turtles and framing turtles with people underwater. I'll show you the photos, but like her camera was like her lens was like this big. It was really cool. Yeah, to see it's underwater. So cool. You have <laughs> to check those out for sure. What's interesting is a lot of those housings. They call that a dome, mm-hmm. the big glass piece. And a lot of people, the one that you saw in the photo on Instagram, that's a 14-millimeter lens that's on that camera with the dome on it. 14 millimeters wide. I'll, the human eye sees about 50 millimeter. If you want to think about you know, perspective and mm-hmm. you know, peripheral kind of view, just think about that. But 14 is pretty wide. and It's not total fisheye kind of thing. But here's the point. You have to have... A dome, you have to have glass that's wide enough to not get in the shot. Mm-hmm. So you see these people, and you got this huge, you know, piece of glass on the front. You go, <laughs> look at that camera. Well, the camera's not actually that big. Right. You know, it's all about the lens that's in it. But you know, you can. I don't want to discourage anybody by what I said either. If you get on, you know, I think Backscatter. If you want to know just a name that comes to mind, Backscatter. I think it's dot com. They're they're a diving company, but they they deal with camera equipment. Um, but you can find cheaper housings, even for point and shoots and things like that, um, that I've seen people, you can get good results with, you know, even underwater. And, you know, that might be a twist for service guys. I mean, if, especially if you own the service business and you're giving a couple of guys a camera to use during the day, try to get some shots in the field, give them one that's in a smaller housing so that, you know, they don't drop it in the water, or get it wet, you know, right. kind of thing. But I've seen decent cameras for a couple hundred bucks, you know. Um, but those are cameras that they've, They've mass produced, you know, and made a lot of so they can bring the cost down on. Right. Mm. Nice. So what do you do kind of to keep you motivated? I mean, you, you travel a lot. You're alone a lot. You have, you know, a lot of responsibility by dealing with these high-end builders. You know, what kind of keeps you motivated and keeps you going? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. Last year I made, it, um, I made it a point to try to schedule time off if I can. And, and by that I mean – a day here, a day there. A lot of times when I schedule shoots, you know, I'll say, okay, how many pools do we have? And, you know, the client may say, okay, we got three. I'll say, all right, we're at least there three days, but depending on where they are in the country, if it's known for rain, that kind of thing, I'll say, let's at least add another day, you know, and at worst I can edit, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, or if we get a rain day, we got at least one day to work with sometimes more. Um, But 
if I get done with a job, like for example, last year, first time I came to Phoenix, I was here shooting for Premier Paradise, and I think we had like I don't remember four projects or something to do that week. Well, I scheduled like six days, I think, and um, I got done editing. I, I just busted tail. I shot project every evening. We had you know no issues with weather. I got done and I had two extra days, so I went up to Page, Arizona, um, and I spent basically two days, partially, you know, two days, spent one night, but I went to Horseshoe Bend um, the first evening for sunset and shot there, and then I went to the Slot Canyons there, you know, and, and shot, went on a kind of a little photography tour they had there where they held people back and let you shoot. But to answer your question, any extra time I have, I just kind of committed to myself, all right, I'm traveling the country, I'm doing this, you know, you got one life to live kind of thing, and might as well enjoy it as much as I can, you know, mm-hmm. and see places. So, that's all across the country. Last last year also, I, I was in New Jersey, and I had an extra day off. I jumped on the, um, I think it's called the PATH station up there. That's you know, the transit station, subway station. I went to the new Oculus building. This thing on the outside looks like a dinosaur skeleton or something. It, it's an amazing piece of architecture. Uh, I can't remember the actual architect's name, but he's he's world famous. But anyway, I got inside and shot pictures of that. I just spent the day doing that until I got kicked out because you, know, you weren't supposed to be. <laughs> Shooting pictures, and, you know, <laughs> I get kicked out of a lot of places. So it sounds like it kind of like helps clear your mind by shooting other things that you just enjoy. And yeah, and help. and the passion is photography, right? You know, I mean, I didn't just get into pools because I didn't. I like I love photography first, and that mm-hmm. led me into this industry. So, so I'm usually shooting or talking to Tilt in the hotel room. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but you do other things. You play the guitar and piano, right? You learn through Yeah, so. yeah it, was, it was great. At the end of this past season, I got home and I finally saw my, I got an acoustic Martin in St. Thomas, you know, I think for the first three or four days, it's just about all I did. You know, just something totally different. Um, diving, you know, I help the dive shop there in the winters when I'm there. So I'm on the boat or on the water almost every day. Um, we joke the same thing about diving. You know, it's like, what does a dive instructor do on his day off? He he goes diving. Yeah. You know, same thing yeah. with photography. Right. And Greg was saying you talk to your mom a lot too, and you guys are pretty close, right? And just yeah, mom mom never remarried, and um, I've I've always tell people, you know, if I um, I wish, you know, if she was a little more technical savvy, I'd hire her as a secretary to run my schedule because <laughs> she seems to know where I'm at more than I do. So. <laughs> but yeah, That's I keep cool. I keep I keep up with mom, man. Love mom so. That's cool. That's really cool of you. A lot of people wouldn't take the time to do that, but yeah. it's important, you know, so she's not too lonely and, you know, keeps involved with your life. It's yeah. Cool. I always say usually, you know, and somebody in this group I kind of felt was similar on Instagram, but I'm usually like God, family, then photography, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But, I think that's what my bio is, but yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Do you got, do you have a, a mentor that's kind of been there for you throughout in this industry or in life in general? Um, well, in photography, uh, there's a lot of photographers that I that I like. You know, there's one fellow named Elia Licardi, E L I A Low L O C A R D I. You guys can find him easily on YouTube. But he actually travels. Uh, he and his wife. It's really interesting. They and there's a YouTube video where you can kind of type this in and it'll pop up. You'll know it. It's about a 10 minute video on his story, but. He and his wife, they were down in, he's from the Keys um, in Florida, but they were in Miami. He was working, you know, a graphics job and they were doing the whole, let's get the, buy the house, get the white picket fence, get the new cars, you know, we got the dog, you know, we made it, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. And then they realized they were just working and working and working, you know, and they weren't really happy. So I think the story, you know, with him, he, he went on a trip like first time in years, 
you know, to a, I think it was a wedding over in Italy, and he had a camera and he started shooting pictures. And then they got back and they said, "Man, what are we really doing? You know, with our life? Is this what we really want to do?" So they sold everything, and essentially, you know, he just stepped out on a limb and started traveling. He would go seven days, you know, in in a new place and research where to shoot. He does mostly landscape, you know, uh-huh. and he'd shoot. And then seven days later, they're on a plane going somewhere else. So, you know, when people ask me like, "How do you really describe what you do?" I kind of he coined the term, but it's like it's location independent, you know. Right now, I'm always <laughs> always on the road, but, yeah. Yeah. but he's been doing that for for years now, and he's um he's a pretty big inspiration, an amazing cool. amazing photographer. Um, but um, have you met him, or you just kind of followed his story? Through? I know him through social media. Okay. We've talked. It's kind of yeah. crazy. You send him a message. He's really good about getting back, but. Um, you never know where in the world he is, so you don't know. <laughs> you know, he could have just gone to bed and you're getting up, you know. Right. So it's like, ah, oh, we'll hear from him in 24 hours maybe, you know. But, yeah, but. that's cool. <laughs> What's the most valuable advice you've received on photography? On photography? Um, there's a group called F-Stoppers uh, out of Charleston. That's a, that's a great photography website. I think most photographers know about those guys, but um, it's, it's two fellas, they – you know, they're an online, they have a lot of tutorials, you know, that photographers go towards, not just, you know, anybody, but anybody can. Um, but I've run into people that know them. And, you know, one thing is they were starting out, just one quote kind of heard from them is like, you know, photography is about making money. And, you know, I see that a lot with artists. They're very good at what they do, but they're very poor at managing, you know, their their finances or a business. So, I think that's probably kind of the best advice. It's like, you know, you got you to gotta separate the two. You know, you're so into your art and what you do and that whole process, but you've also got to make a living at it at right. the same time. And you got to, there's a lot that goes into that. You guys know, you guys have run businesses, you mm-hmm. know, so. It sucks that that's like frowned upon that somebody would try to be making money doing what they love. You know what I mean? It's like, why, why do you have to be considered a sellout or something like that? It's like, you're just, you're providing value to people and you're, you're just doing your job. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I kind of look at it. I, I see where you're coming from with that a hundred percent, but I kind of feel that the most important thing is figuring out what you love to do, you know, and then you never work a day essentially in your life, you know, but you know, when I was in art school, everybody wanted to be the next whoever that just, clicks a picture and, you know, does a little, has their own style or something. And then people just buy, you know, they become this famous artist, but that's, that's not reality. You know, it's not really, that's not, everybody can't do that. Right. You know, so. Well, you mentioned your favorite photographers. Who are some of those? Okay. So, uh, there's a guy named Andre Cortez, um, K E R T E S Z is his last name. Andre was in the like 1930s. He lived long enough to see color film, but Andre was just, I actually had one of the head um, professors at the time or whatever at the University of Georgia when I was in the program there. They were looking at my photography, just things I was doing in class, and he brought him up. Said, you should go to, you know, the library and check out this guy, get a book on him. And um, I have a book, you know, on uh, one of the only books or best books on his whole life story and everything. But he, um, they were seeing similarities in what, the way I shot, you know, and then things of his, and they were right, you know, and he was really good at breaking the space is the way I say it. So we all, we all look through a frame, you know, a rectangular box, you know, on your iPhone or whatever, or, you know, any camera pretty much. And you're looking through that ratio and the all the only thing you have to do is change what's in that frame. But he's very good at breaking up the space. But even with, you know, being on the street, 
you know, just shooting stuff like freehand, you know, like you can go to New York or something. He would be the kind of guy that, that could just really still concentrate on composition. He was just very good at it. And then he also did something that was really interesting to me. And I haven't, I haven't done this yet in my life, but I'm going to. Um, he had a friend that gave him back then fun mirrors like you see in uh, – in a what a carnival, you know, or oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like fun. You remember the fun, fun house? Yep, yep, yep. Well, these things were like 200 pounds or something, you know, and he's got them, and but he had to use them in a studio. So, what he would do is take kind of black cloths and things and get, and he's shooting all black and white at this point, but and with larger field cameras, you know, with negatives that are four inches, you know, by five inches or something. But, um, he would hide the camera, but he would have models sit down. And just sit in all these crazy positions where it might look like, I know it sounds weird, but it might look like part of their body. It's like the cartoons when Wally Coyote <laughs> swallows the cannonball and his butt drops down or Tom and Jerry, mm-hmm. something like that. But he shot a lot of, you know, portraits like that. But I really thought it was interesting. And I went to the UGA, um, the, the, li- the science library, and I looked up, you know, science projects is where I found this. And it was like, cool things to do, you know, with science projects, but they were, one was on how to build mirrors, you know, with glass and, and the metal and everything and putting, you know, coating the backs. And they had, with cheap metals, you could actually on a stovetop, you know, heat this metal up. And they were telling you if you had anything left over, like any of the actual metal liquid down, you could put it in a, uh, like a flask, like a, like, you know, you see in a laboratory, like a tube or a beaker kind mm-hmm. of thing, slosh it around and let it dry. And it would deposit a mirror on the inside of that, object so then actually i went to the chemistry department and they actually it's funny at uga the, everybody that's chemistry major they go through a like a glass blowing class you know and because if they break things that they need to make just their own specific beaker or glass tubes for whatever they learn how to make that so they can wow. do it in-house wow so i was over there hanging out with some of these guys going hey can you you know give me this way and they're probably thinking something else i want them to make all these glass products for but that wasn't it and i'm like but I was telling him what I wanted to do was make kind of what Cortez did, but he was forced to do it in the studio because he was limited how he could move around those mirrors. But take glass objects that have mirrors inside and travel with them. And you know, so you go to the Eiffel Tower, right? Everybody's seen the Eiffel Tower. Photographer, it's a huge, you know, tourist destination, especially for photographers. You know, you can only shoot it so many ways, right? But you know, I always thought with like macro lenses, I could set these things up and shoot off the reflections, mm. and it makes it kind of a anybody a Salvador Dali fan? You know, Salvador yep. Dali, all the kind of melted clock and weird reality paintings. Um, it instantly turns anything you're looking at into this kind of abstract, you know, different version. You know, sounds kind of far out, I guess, but but yeah, it was just uh, an idea that I had. So Cortez was. In multiple ways, you know, just a cool, really cool artist. And and um, he shot a lot through glass objects, too. Later, when color came out, he's got some pretty famous pictures. And um, he's just somebody to look up, but a big inspiration for me. But very good at breaking the space. Mm-hmm. I mean, very good at composing and, and taking just an everyday, you know, scene, but really breaking it down to make the picture interesting where you, you stay involved with the picture. You hold the viewer's eye to it. Nice. Got to have that inspiration. So with traveling a lot, and you, you would think that you like read a lot of books or listen to podcasts and things. What what do you kind of do to break up the time? Do you have any favorite books or podcasts? Um, podcasts, not really. Uh, pool chasers, obviously. Right? <laughs> I'm actually that's been one thing. You know, as I'm driving, I've probably, I'm, honestly, I've probably been through about six episodes, maybe I think now. Mm-hmm. But it gives me something to do. You know, with all the driving, um, but. 
I've listened to Joe Rogan a lot. Yeah. You know, I know he's a pretty popular podcast, but right. I, I was just listening to, and it's an older one, I'm sure, but it was Elon Musk, mm-hmm. you know, that was on there. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty interesting one. Uh, to break up the time, I don't know, you know, binge watch something on Netflix, you know, but <laughs> I watch a lot of documentaries, you know, and then, um, and, and I'm, I'm constantly studying with photography. You know, I'm looking up tutorials or, you know, trying to get better in Photoshop, you know, just, just working on craft in the business, you know, throw the ball with tilt wherever I'm at. Yeah. You know. <laughs> he, he actually breaks it up a lot because no matter what I'm doing and how busy I get, if if, you, if I don't exercise him every day, you know, and take him somewhere, then he's going to let me know real fast. So, right. You know, he's good. He gets me outdoors even, you know, when I'm supposed to be editing kind of That's thing. Cool. He breaks it up. Cool. Well, we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit. Can you kind of share with the listeners maybe where they can find your stuff on, you know, website, Instagram, Facebook, email? Yeah, sure. So um, it's it's real easy. The website's, well, it's Jimmy Smith Photography, but I spell Jimmy, J-I-M-I. Like Jimi Hendrix, he died, not the same year, but pretty much on my birthday. So, you know, we've always has broken it up with a common name like Smith, his last name, and then James, his common first name. Usually, you know, I, I think I was on every hit list after 9-11, you know, when I'd walk, <laughs> they'd say, oh, well, you're flagged. you got to come up here. But um, but it's jimismithphotography.com. That's the, the website. And then same thing on Instagram, Jimmy Smith Photography. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the main two sources. To find me, you know, Facebook. I've got a page, business page too. Uh-huh. Same thing, Jimmy Smith Photography. But. Well, where can somebody reach out to you if they want to? Is it best through through Instagram or through your email? Or it, it happens all, all around the board. You know, always. Yeah. I, I've answered Facebook messages and then scheduled jobs, Instagram stuff. Um, my number is pretty easy to find. You know, out there on on all that, and um, yeah, just shout at me. You know. <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, you know, thanks for taking the time to come here with us today. You know, you have a really great story, super fun, and it's been really fun getting to know you and listening to your story, you know, through this time we've shared. And so we really thank you and appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thank you guys. And look, I want to say again, I'm really behind what you guys are doing. You know, it's, Greg and I kind of talked a little bit. You know, I'm I'm the photographer amongst the pool industry, you know, and I, I deal with people all over. Same thing for you guys. There's anybody, you know, there's so many people, I should say, in the industry you know, you you guys. I mean, the world's your oyster, pretty much here. You right. have to talk to people. So, thank and, you. And very I think much. I think we're all, you know, in this group. From what he's told me, that we're all interested mainly in bringing the industry up. You mm-hmm. know, making it better. And that, that's what it's about. So, yeah. Well, well we appreciate, appreciate the support. Yes, sir. Thank yeah, you. no doubt. Thank you guys so much for listening. We know that your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending that with us. If you have any questions, please email us at poolchasers.info at gmail.com. Please take the time to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you have not checked out the Facebook group yet, please do so. It's awesome in there. Also, if you could take a little bit of time to go to Apple Podcasts and rate us and review us, that would really help us out there. So thank you guys so much for the support. We appreciate all of you so much. See you out there, Pool Chasers. chasers.